we live in a time when people are suspect about what the church is and what it does and if it's useful or valuable. Um, I think this is perhaps why the Barna Research Group, um, as they were asking people about uh, their involvement with the church, uh, they simply asked this question. They said, um, how many times, have you been to church or a church function in the last six months? So have you just gone into the church within the last six months? Um, they started asking that in 2004. Nine years later, they asked it again in 2003. Uh, originally, it was one-third of the population. Then it, it came up to two-fifths, so it rose by close to you know, 7% uh, is, what, is about what that is. Um, and so it's clear that the church seems to be uh, reliquated, re- relegated in many people's minds to sort of a vestigial organ of our superstitious past. It is something that is antiquated. It is quaint. The idea is nice, but it's not very functional or useful. And so over the next uh, series, this next series, I really want to address this issue. What good is the church? Is the church good for anything? Well, I I want to start just with Scripture because it's in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, that we read that Christ died for the church. Christ died for the church. And so if we're going to sit and talk about whose idea was the church and, and why are we doing this, well, we've got to start by saying, well, you know, this was originally God's idea. And God found this idea to be so very, very important that he sent his son Jesus to die for this institution, this organization that we today call the church. And today I would offer that if the church is not relevant, it is not because God's plan has not worked. Rather, it is because the church, that's us, has not been faithful to God's plan. And just on a personal note, I believe in the church. Now, you might expect a guy who works for a church to then defend the organization he works for and say, well, you know, of course you think the church is important. I get that. But I, I want you to hear this, and, and this is with all sincerity, is that I, I, I work for the church because I believe the church is important. And so I'm telling you that because I believe that and I live that, and that's what I've given my life to. And it, it didn't come the other way around. I didn't say, you know, well, you know, the, the easiest way to be really lucrative in life is to go work for the church. Uh, I, I can tell you there's probably easier ways to, to do that. I work here because I love it. I love the church, and I believe in the church. And so as we go through these next few weeks, it's my hope that we would recover God's plan for the church, that in so doing we would renew our passion for the church, and that we would renew our commitment to the church. And so with all that in mind, let me pray, and we're going to get into a text this morning that's going to give us a picture of the church at the end of time. So please bow your heads with me. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for the church. I I thank you so much, Lord, for this church, specifically the people here of Bowling Green Christian Church. Uh, God, you know what a blessing they have been to me and to my wife and to my children and how fortunate we feel to be a part of this congregation. And so, Lord, I I pray that as we go through this, this morning, as we look at this text in Revelation and a few others, as we even go through this series, God, as we start to think about what is the value of the church. We pray, Lord, that you'd help us to see the church, which was your idea, with your eyes and with your heart. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you've got a Bible, we're going to look uh, at Revelation 19. Um, 
And as we start the series on the church, I want to start with a picture of what the church is going to do at the end of time and for all of time. Revelation chapter 19, verse 6, uh, John is going to write this. He says, then I heard, this is towards the end of his uh, marvelous vision, he says, then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the sound of many waters and like the sound of mighty thunder peals, crying out, hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come. And his bride has made herself ready. To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. Here in the book of Revelation we get a picture of the church. And we see that the church is doing one thing there at the end of time. It is praising God. And we see this not as a picture of a temporary snapshot that it's going to happen once and then be over. Rather, this is a continual picture that we've seen from the beginning of the book of Revelation to this point and even beyond it. And so it's clear that the church exists to praise God and that the church is going to last forever because God lasts forever. If you uh, look at this passage in its context, you see that right before this Something incredible has happened, that there's this institution, this organization, this government that John's going to call Babylon. And Babylon is the embodiment of injustice, and it is the embodiment of sin, and it is the embodiment of oppression. And God has brought judgment upon Babylon and has, has set the people free from that sinful oppression. And it is this great multitude that shows up in verse 6 which is described as the church earlier, that praises God because it sees God for who He really is and what He really does. The Jewish folks used to say it this way. They say, the Lord is good and the Lord does good. And that was just a simple blessing. And the church is full of blessing and praise for God. Who makes up the church? Well, if you go back, you see that same phrase, a great multitude, shows up in chapter 7, verse 9, where it is described as having people from every tongue, tribe and nation in it. Friends, this describes the church, an organization, an institution, an organism, a living body of Christ that transcends national and cultural boundaries, that outlasts national uh, you know, or organizations and governments. It outlasts nations and it outlasts prejudice. If you think about all of the organizations that the church has outlasted, I mean, just consider what it's outlasted so far. It's outlasted the Roman Empire, the Byzantine Empire, multiple dynasties in China, uh, Mayans, Aztec uh, civilizations. It saw the sunset on the British Empire. It saw the rise and the fall of the Third Reich. It saw the fall of the Soviet Union. The church has survived the Industrial Revolution. It is surviving quite well the Information Revolution. And we see that it was a cornerstone of the civil rights movement, which brought down a system of oppression in America and even apartheid in South Africa. Friends, it is the church, the Christian church, the church, the capital C church throughout the world that is the world's largest organization. It exists today of their 7 billion people on planet Earth, 2.3 billion people call themselves Christians. 
We are by far the largest organization on the world. Even the largest country, China, only has 1.35 billion people. And guess what? 70 million of them would call themselves Christian. Friends, the church will last forever because our God will last forever. This year we celebrate 500 years of Protestantism. It was 500 years ago that Martin Luther nailed the uh, 95 Theses to the Wittenberg door and started this Protestant Reformation. And it is him that wrote the, the old hymn, A Mighty Fortress is Our God. I, I, as I was looking through this this week, I, I found verses 3 and 4. We don't sing them as much, but, but they're, they're incredibly relevant, I think. Consider our world and his as he writes this. He says, And though this world with devils filled should threaten to undo us, we will not fear. For God hath willed his truth to triumph through us. So apparently Martin Luther's day, he lived with all sorts of upheaval the same way that we live with upheaval. And as a matter of fact, he lived with more. He goes on, he says, The prince of darkness grim, we tremble not for him. His rage we can endure. In other words, we can endure the rage of the devil himself. Why? Because his doom is sure. One little word will fell him. This word above all earthly powers, no thanks to them abideth. The spirit and the gifts are ours through him who with us sideth. Let goods and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill. God's truth abideth still. His kingdom is forever. And friends, that's us. As the church, we are part of the kingdom of God. We are part of the kingdom of heaven. We are a part of an organization, the only organization that will last through all of the rest of time. The church is going to exist forever praising God because God will forever be praiseworthy. And that's the purpose of the church is to praise God. If somebody asks you, why do you go to church? What's the purpose of church? The real short answer is this. The church exists to give praise to God. That's, that's what we exist to do. Yes, we do other things. Sure, yeah, we do missions. But we only evangelize people because those people aren't praising God yet. And, and, and yes, we are engaged in compassion, caring for the poor. But I would say that we only do that because not enough people have got with the program that we're supposed to share our gifts and we're supposed to help to take care of each other. And so until that point in time when everybody praises God and everything is made right, we are, you know, we are engaged in other activities. But our primary activity, John Piper has rightly pointed out, is this act of praise and worship. We have missions simply because praise does not exist. And friends, as we think about that praise and praising God forever, I know that makes some people nervous. You think, I don't know that I really want to go to heaven if all we've got is guitars and singing. I'm not sure that that's, that's me. I, it's, that's, there's going to be more to it than that. I mean, what, what, what's going to be there? We, we can only imagine the wonderful things that will be there. But if you go back to the beginning of Genesis, you see that God created us to enjoy creation, to enjoy the presence of Him, to enjoy conversation with Him, to enjoy relationships with each other. Which is why when, when Paul talks about how we're supposed to, to give God worship, notice what he says in Romans 12, verse 1. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God to present your bodies. Notice it's not just your voices or just your praise, but, but your bodies, all of you, as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual, also translated as reasonable act of worship. Friends, everything in our life can be and should be an act of worship. 
Which is why a little bit later in this passage, Paul is going to encourage everybody to use their gifts to bring glory to God. To use their gifts of leadership or mercy or compassion, whatever those gifts are, to use those gifts to bring glory and praise to, uh, to God and God alone. And so if we think about what's the, the future going to look like as the church and, and if we exist for eternity to praise God, I think what that's going to look a lot like is, is living every day, enjoying God, learning more about His creation, enjoying more of His wisdom and His presence, because it is that enjoyment that brings God great glory. Now, the twist in this text here in Revelations 19 is not only that we're invited to be a part of the celebration, but that we're part, invited to be a part of what's being celebrated and that's the thing, is that Christ has made it possible for us to be a part of His church, His bride. We are God's choice and delight. God decided on us. He decided that He wanted us and that He was committed to us and that He was going to make a sacrifice for us. And so if anybody asks, whose idea is the church and is it a good idea? The answer is it was God's idea and it's a great idea. I know that when many people look at the church, they see something antiquated or old, out of date, perhaps shabby. But when Christ looks at the church, the text makes it clear that he sees a beautiful bride. Even though the church is made up of people, me and you, and we're all sinners, in Christ we have been made saints. We talked about that last week. Notice in Revelation 19.8, it says, To her, that's the bride of Christ, that's us, to her it has been granted to be clothed with uh, white, fine linen, bright and pure. Notice the, the word order there. It doesn't say that she takes on the white linen, that she does it herself, that she sewed up her own dress or anything like that. No, it has been granted to her. In other words, God gives the church. God gives us that pure linen. God is the one who makes us presentable and beautiful through the saving blood of Jesus Christ. This is a theme that's continued through Revelation. If you go back to Revelation chapter 7, verse 14, we read about this white linen before. It says, these, that's the church, are they who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white. Where? In the blood of the Lamb. It is in Christ that it is possible for us to be a part of His church. It's clear that Christ is the one who makes us beautiful and acceptable and presentable. But notice there's another part in Revelation 19.8. We stopped a little early. It says, To her it has been granted to be clothed with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. I like to think of it this way, that Christ has made us pure and we have a choice whether to continue in that purity or to take a different kind of path, something that might contaminate us. I know a lot of you got your kids ready for church this morning and the first thing you said to them after you got that shirt on and those pants on is you said this, you said, now don't get that dirty. Don't eat anything that will get that dirty. Don't spill on yourself. Don't, don't have jam this morning. It's a bad choice. Dry toast. That's what you can eat. Things we can dust off. Because there's just something in the nature of children to get dressed and then find a mess. It just They don't mean to. It's not evil. It's just it's in their DNA. It's just who we are. And, and, and the same thing's true, I think, in our spiritual lives, is, is God, He puts this beautiful garment on us, and there's something in us that we just seem to be attracted to a mess. 
I mean, you wouldn't put on a wedding dress or a tuxedo to go out and work in your garden or paint your house or change your oil or worse, change a tire. I mean, my goodness, you wouldn't do that. And yet we have taken on this beautiful white linen of Christ and we return to the same things that Christ died to save us from, only to be entrapped and, and mired in that same sinfulness. Here's the truth, is that we have been made pure in Christ, and Christ calls us saints. And it is up to us whether we are going to add to that purity by following in the righteous footsteps of Jesus Christ, by loving people the way that He loved them, caring for people the way that He cared for them, or we can detract from our purity by wearing His beautiful name into sins in places that that name does not need to go. I think this is best summed up in Ephesians chapter 2, where Paul writes this. He says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not the results of works, so that no one may boast. So that's it. We've been saved by grace through faith. But notice this. It says, For we are what he made us, created in Christ Jesus for what? For good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. You see, God has made a way for us to be united with Him by purifying us through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And He loves us so much that He eternally chooses us to be with Him. And so not only will the church last forever, and not only is it possible for you to be a part of the church, but we see one more thing in the, that text in Revelation, that it is the, those people are blessed who are invited to this. And the thing is that we're all invited. We are invited. We are asked to come and be a part of God's celebration for eternity. I'll tell you, I think it is a blessing to be a part of the church. It is a blessing to be invited to be with Jesus forever, to be celebrated by Jesus forever. And yet so many people reject this invitation. I want to sort of wrap up our time here this morning with a, a parable of Jesus. Jesus tells us in Luke chapter 14, and in Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable about this, this banquet, about this feast, and that's often a picture of heaven because when God's people are, are pictured, you know, celebrating, we get a picture of a feast. And so that's Revelation gives us a picture of this wedding feast of, of the bride of the Lamb that's going to come together in a feast. And Jesus tells lots of parables about feasts and banquets, and one of those shows up here in Luke chapter 14. Uh, Jesus tells this parable in verse 16. Jesus said to them, he said, Someone gave a great dinner and invited many. At the time for the dinner, he sent his slave to those who had been invited, come for everything is ready now. Now let's pause for a second because in, in our culture, this doesn't quite make a lot of sense. We live in a place where we'll say, hey, we're going to get together Thursday at 7 o'clock. They weren't so time-oriented at this point. They were more event-oriented. So they would say something like, hey, in a couple days we're going to have dinner, um, and when it's all ready, we got everything prepared, I'm going to send my servants, they're going to come to you, they're going to get you, and then you come. And you would say, yeah, I got that. That's how this is going to work. And so you would just show up. You'd sort of kind of mark out that time that that's going to be the time that you've got to, to show up to a banquet. And so all of these people know. They know that this dinner is coming. And so at the appointed time, the slave comes and he says, come for everything is now ready. But verse 18, it says, but they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I, I've bought a piece of land and I must go out and see it. Please accept my regrets. So this man's made an investment. 
He's got something going on, some big deal, and he wants to go see it. I, I guess we could sort of understand that. Okay, but what about the next one? Another said, well, I bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm going to try them out. Please accept my regrets. Well, here, here's a, a, a man who's a working guy, and he's, he's got a new tool, and he wants to make sure that it works the way that he thinks it should. I've got to try these things out. Well, okay. Verse 20, another said, well, I've just been married, and therefore I can't come. Okay, that's another good excuse, I suppose. Verse 21, so the slave returned and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and the lanes of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Why? Because you can't have a party without people. You can't have a party without people. And Jesus is so clear. God wants heaven full. And so all the people that were expected to show up, they've got all these excuses, and all the people you didn't think were going to show up, they've now all of a sudden been invited. Verse 22, the slave said, Sir, what you've ordered has been done, and there is still room. Then the master said to the slave, Go out into the roads and lanes and compel people to come in, so that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited will taste my dinner. Right here we see this is that God is inviting us to be part of something that lasts forever. That's the church. Only the church, of all the organizations you might serve and go to and be a part of and contribute to, none of those will last except the church. And if you look at this parable, we see that it's clear everybody gets invited to be a part of that. Every one of us has been invited to be a part of the celebration of the marriage of the Lamb. And the things that keep these people from coming are the same things that keep us from coming. You know, we make an investment. We get too attached to stuff to come and be a part of God's banquet. Uh, we make commitments, perhaps to work, and we get too busy being too busy, too busy being successful to come to God's banquet. Or we get our, our relationship order mixed up. You know, marriage is good. Work is good. Investments are good. But the question is, what comes first? The answer should always be God. Because here's the thing, investments and work and even relationships are going to be totally redefined in, in the, the world to come. It is all going to be changed. And what matters most is, are we a part of the church? And you say, well, why is that so important? Because here's the thing, it's the church that reminds us of what's eternally important. We're so like these people in Jesus' parables. We get so caught up in our stuff and our work and our relationships. None of those things are bad, but none of those things are going to last for eternity. It is coming to church. It is being part of church that reminds us that the only man-made institution today that's going to last for eternity is the church. And being a part of it now helps us to be ready and prepared for heaven. Because what, what kind of messages do you get from every place you go to Every place you go to, they're always going to tell you, this is the most important thing. You know, this, this school, this is the most important thing for you right now. This job, this is the most important thing for you right now. This relationship, this can be the most important thing for you right now. And you go into the world and everybody's going to tell you, this is the most important thing. But it's only when you come to church and you listen to God's word and you listen to what God says is the most important thing, when he says, I am the most important thing. Friends, that's, that's when we start to get it right. I've been reading with great interest the observations, I know some of you have been reading too, about millennials in the workplace, the much maligned millennials in the workplace. What's interesting, though, is that recently a lot of studies have been finding that millennial work patterns are not quite as different as maybe they thought they were originally. 
Uh, how about this? Harvard Business Review. Maybe you've heard of that little school out east. Harvard Business Review um, sent and did surveys with millennials in the workplace, and, and they started asking about their attitudes about work. And they said, what's important to you in work? And they said, the thing we really want is we want work that is meaningful, and we want to work for something that matters. And they started to go through all of the other generations, and they found that that was true across the board. Nobody, nobody in any generation said, I want work that is just busy work, and that's just going to be temporary. I'd like to know that today I'm going to do nothing that will matter forever at all. Nobody said that. Nobody ever said that. And so, as I thought about that, I thought about the church. You know, we all want work that's meaningful. We all want to work for something that's going to last. And I think that's why the church is so attractive. That's why God is, is such a great person to work for, is because it is what, He is what's going to last forever. And so here's the thing. You don't have to work for the church to be a part of the church, and you don't have to get paid by the church to work for the church. You can do that in your homes, in your businesses, at school. But the question is, are we going to put God first? Are we going to say, you know, before anything else, I am a part of God's church, and I know that that is going to last. And so in these upcoming weeks, I just pray that you'd make it a priority to be here as we talk about what does it mean to be a part of the church, and why is the church so important? Because it is. It's going to last forever. Let's pray.